Welcome to the Improve the News podcast for Wednesday, July 12th, 2023, where we separate the spin from the facts. I'm Scott Wallace. And I'm Melissa Topshire with today's headlines. The U.S. Senate probes the PGA Live golf merger. Trump requests the classified documents trial be postponed. Zelensky reissues calls for Ukraine's NATO accession. Libya jails 38 for human trafficking. The Hunter Biden whistleblower is charged with acting as a Chinese agent. China and the Solomon Islands announce a strategic partnership. Meta's Threads hits 100 million users. Foxconn withdraws from its Vedanta chip deal. Olympic champion Castor Semenya wins her testosterone appeal. And transparent mice are found to potentially improve cancer drug tests. In our first story, the U.S. Senate probes the PGA Live golf merger. Here are the facts as agreed upon by NBC, USA Today, and Golf. During a three-hour hearing Tuesday held by the U.S. Senate Homeland Security Committee's Permanent Subcommittee on Investigations, lawmakers questioned PGA Tour Chief Operating Officer Ron Price and board member Jimmy Dunn about the proposed merger with Saudi-backed Live Golf. Subcommittee Chairman Senator Richard Blumenthal, Democrat of Connecticut, has been critical of the deal, particularly over the Saudi Public Investment Funds, or PIF, stake in the merger. When asked how much the PIF would invest, Price said it would be north of $1 billion. The deal has faced accusations of sports washing, with both Blumenthal and ranking member Senator Ron Johnson, Republican of Wisconsin, calling out the Saudi regime's alleged assassination of Jamal Khashoggi. However, Johnson added that the PGA shouldn't be blamed for Saudi's alleged crimes. Price confirmed that once the deal closes, Live CEO and longtime PGA critic Greg Norman would likely lose his lead spot at Live, with PGA Commissioner Jay Monahan taking over as CEO and PIF Governor Yasir Al-Rumayyan, who will reportedly receive membership at both the Royal and Ancient Golf Club and Augusta National, becoming the chairman. Documents released ahead of the hearing also showed that the merger would see both Rory McIlroy and Tiger Woods own live golf teams and play in 10 live events a year. The hearing also brought 9-11 into the discussion, as the Saudis have been accused of playing a role in the attacks. While Dunn said he would meet with the relatives of victims present at the hearing, Johnson called for more documents to be released on the terror attacks. On this program, we separate the spin from the facts. Those were our facts. Let's begin with Narrative A from the Washington Examiner. The PGA has found itself in quite a self-made predicament. While claiming this move is only a business venture to stay afloat, lawmakers rightfully called out the potential dangers of handing managerial power over to the Saudi regime. As mentioned by GOP Senator Josh Hawley, this also raises questions surrounding whether the PGA will disregard human rights and national security by conducting deals with China or Russia in the future. The PGA has a long way to go to prove it won't let money blind it from its humanitarian and security obligations. And Narrative B from NBC News. While the PGA has certainly cowered in the face of financial depletion, it's not like the Saudi government had all the cards here. The Saudis still couldn't gain all the TV rights needed to broadcast their events, and it's not like the PGA actually owns any of the major tournaments like the U.S. and British Opens. For those reasons and more, this was actually a smart business deal for the betterment of the players and the sport overall. 
Trump asked to postpone the Dock's trial until after the 2024 election. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Politico, ABC News, CNBC, The Guardian, BBC News, and Reuters. Lawyers for former President Donald Trump and his aide, Walt Nada, filed a joint request Monday for a Florida federal court overseeing the classified documents case to postpone the trial date until after the 2024 presidential election. Trump's lawyers say the proposed December 11th trial doesn't give the defense reasonable time to prepare, and they argue that the polarization of the upcoming election poses a challenge in finding an impartial jury. The trial was already moved at the prosecutor's request from August to December. The case is being tried under the Classified Information Procedures Act rules, which are designed to prevent the defense from leaking sensitive information at trial. However, its extensive rules create a longer path to trial. In a 12-page filing, the defense also cited the complexity of the case and the intersection between the charges and the Presidential Records Act, which has never been addressed by any court. Judge Eileen Cannon has yet to render a decision on the request. On Tuesday, Cannon moved a hearing from July 14th to July 18th at Nauta's request and over special counsel Jack Smith's objection since the defense counsel had to attend a bench hearing for another case on that date. Trump last month pleaded not guilty to 37 charges relating to the retention of classified documents after he left office. Thank you, Scott, for those facts. We'll begin this spin with an anti-Trump narrative from Raw Story. Although Trump pretends he's innocent, his tactic of delaying the trial shows he knows the evidence is stacked against him. That's why he's attempting a long-shot Hail Mary to delay the trial until after the election. Then he can pardon himself if he somehow returns to the White House. And the pro-Trump narrative comes from One America News. Trump's lawyers are 100% correct to ask for a delay until after the election. These charges are a sham, and the fact that the U.S. Department of Justice, which typically takes a while to bring a case to trial, is rushing this case, indicates the administration is attempting to derail the campaign of the favorite for the GOP nomination. And from time to time on this show, we get a nerd narrative from the Metaculous Prediction community. This one says there's a 50% chance that the federal criminal trial of Donald J. Trump in his classified documents case will begin by April 2024. I I tell you, I'm kind of surprised to hear that Trump doesn't want to have this trial in a way it would be free advertising for this year coming up to the election. I think you're absolutely right. The more, you know, there's no bad publicity. Bring it on. It's just another reality TV show. Yeah. And, uh, and I know how to get those ratings. Zelensky reissues his calls for Ukraine's NATO accession. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Interfax, CNN, The Straits Times, The Financial Times, The Daily Sabah, and Al Arabia. As a two-day NATO summit kicked off in the Lithuanian capital of Vilnius on Tuesday, Ukrainian President Zelensky said it would be absurd if Ukraine was not given membership to the military alliance, claiming that as long as uncertainty over the question remained, Russia would have motivation to continue its terror. Zelensky's condemnation comes after U.S. President Biden ruled out Ukraine's immediate entry to NATO over the weekend, stating that for an application to be considered, the war with Russia must first be over. On Tuesday, Jen Stoltenberg, the NATO Secretary General, and Jake Sullivan, the U.S. National Security Advisor, both seemingly attempted to soften the blow of Biden's announcement, with both stating that Ukraine would receive a positive signal on its membership bid at the summit. 
including the formation of a new Ukraine-NATO council. However, according to reports, the moves will still fall short of a set timeline for when Ukraine can join. According to sources who spoke to the Financial Times, NATO leaders have been preparing a carefully hedged communique that in its current draft states NATO will extend an invitation to Ukraine to join the alliance when, quote, allies agree and conditions are met. The final communique is expected to be released at some point over the next two days. In his statement, Zelensky hit out at this language being drafted without first consulting with Ukrainian officials. It seems there's no readiness neither to invite Ukraine to NATO nor to make it a member of the alliance, Zelensky said. Elsewhere, as the summit commenced, France's Emmanuel Macron announced that Paris will supply Ukraine with long-range cruise missiles. The move follows suit with Britain, who committed to supplying Ukraine with the same missiles last month. Kremlin spokesman Dmitry Peskov criticized the decision, stating it will not affect what Russia calls its special military operation, adding that it will only increase the suffering for Ukraine. Thanks for that rundown, Melissa. We have a pro-establishment narrative from Politico. This is a vital NATO summit for Ukraine. Not only does the alliance need to provide a clear roadmap to Ukraine's future membership of NATO, it must provide Ukraine with everything it needs so that it wins this war and reestablishes full control over its internationally recognized 1991 borders. This should include the delivery of Army tactical missile system weapons. Here's the establishment critical narrative from The Guardian. Although Putin may look weakened following the failed Wagner revolt, this key NATO summit is a time for mature statesmanship. The shifting goalposts on weapons show just how much the war has escalated over 16 months. Now's the time for NATO to realize that its security lies in a settlement with Russia, not doubling down on more weapons and war. And we have another nerd narrative from Metaculus. This one says there's a 1% chance that Ukraine will join NATO before the year 2024. Libya jails 38 over a Mediterranean smuggling case. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Fox 22 and ABC 7 of Bangor, Maine. Al Jazeera, the Associated Press, and Africa News. A court in eastern Libya has sentenced a total of 38 people to prison on human trafficking convictions for their involvement in a human smuggling scheme that led to the deaths of 11 migrants on a boat crossing the Mediterranean Sea. According to the Office of the General Prosecutor for the case, five defendants were sentenced to life in prison, Nine were given 15 years, and another 24 will spend one year behind bars. This followed a separate smuggling sentencing of one individual to life in prison and two others to 20 years each in the capital Tripoli on Friday. Though the prosecutor's office didn't explain when the deaths occurred or delve into further details, what is known is that the victims were being transported as part of a human trafficking ring from Libya to Europe. Following the NATO-backed toppling of former dictator Muammar Gaddafi, Libya has become a hub for migrant smuggling into Europe. A UN report in March found that some migrants are also forced into sexual slavery. In 2021, the UN and U.S. also imposed sanctions on Libyan national Osama al-Khuni Ibrahim, who was accused of horrific abuses against sub-Saharan migrants in a detention center in Libya. Thank you, Scott, for those striking facts. We'll begin these spins with a pro-establishment narrative from the U.S. State Department. 
Though Libya has strengthened its justice system to some degree, in recent years the government hasn't been able to keep up with the growing human trafficking enterprise. Labor and sex slavery have been exploited by corrupt government officials, the military, and private companies, while migrant detention centers breed further abuses at the official state level. The global community must step up to help prevent these unacceptable human rights abuses. And the gray zone brings us an establishment critical narrative. While the Libyan government doesn't deserve a Nobel Peace Prize, Western institutions are not free of blame here either. Instead of intercepting migrants themselves, the EU outsources migrant handling to Tripoli, which means the EU is funding at least some part of this abuse. By not taking control of the situation, European leaders have allowed migrants to be sold off to depraved labor and sex slave rings. The Western rules-based order must take an honest look at its role in the treatment of migrants. Melissa, do you see those signs in the airport that say, if you're being human trafficked, you know, call this number or do this thing, get an official? Do you ever see those? Uh, yeah, I actually see them in the women's bathroom stalls. If that sign can help one person out of sex slavery or right. human trafficking, then it's doing a good job, right? Part of me thinks some of the effectiveness of those signs is it scares people who aren't being trafficked into understanding what's going on. It's even more severe that this is a sign trying to help, like the person standing next to you may be being trafficked. Yeah, that's a good point. I don't even get like the kind of person who has the kind of money to, I guess, buy a person. My, If I had to take a stab and throw a dart, I would say the psychology is you were sexually abused as a child in, yep. those, in those formative years. I, that would be my guess at what's happening. A Hunter Biden whistleblower is charged with acting as a Chinese agent. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Business Insider, Newsweek, BBC News, Al Jazeera, USA Today, and Fox News. The United States DOJ on Monday unsealed the indictment against a missing witness into the investigation of first son Hunter Biden's business dealings just days after Gal Luft challenged officials to do so by alleging that the charges he's facing are politically motivated. The eight-count accusation against the American-Israeli citizen who co-directs the Maryland-based Institute for the Analysis of Global Security includes failing to register as a foreign agent, evading oil sanctions, two counts of making false statements to investigators, and three counts of illicit arms trafficking. Luft has been accused of acting as an unregistered Chinese agent in 2016, as he allegedly lobbied an unnamed advisor to then-president-elect Donald Trump to support certain policies with respect to China. Additionally, U.S. prosecutors have claimed that the 57-year-old, whose whereabouts are unknown, also brokered meetings between Iranian officials and a Chinese energy company to discuss oil deals, despite U.S. sanctions on Iran. Luft allegedly also worked as an unlicensed broker for Chinese businesses to sell weapons to Libya, the United Arab Emirates, and Kenya, violating the Arms Export Control Act, and is accused of falsely denying his activity during a voluntary interview with U.S. law enforcement. Earlier this month, the New York Post published a 14-minute video of Luft in which he argued that his arrest in Cyprus in February, aimed at preventing him from testifying to the House Oversight Committee, that the Biden family had been bribed from people with ties to the Chinese military. Unsurprisingly, there are some diametrically opposed political narratives on this story. Let's start with the Republican narrative from the New York Post. 
Despite the torrent of evidence being provided by Luft to the FBI in 2019 and the recent breaking apart of the collusion between the feds and big tech, the liberal media has continued to remain silent over the matter. The hypocritical left continues to attempt to portray themselves as holier than thou while they continue to bury the reality of the Biden family business deals. And here's the Democratic narrative from the Daily Beast. It's little surprise that the man touted by Republicans to hold the key to exposing the Biden family is, in reality, not what he claimed to be. Accusations by Luft and Republicans have failed to be backed by any real evidence of corruption. And the focus should rather be directed upon bringing the so-called whistleblower to justice. Narrative C comes from the Jewish News Service. The crimes Luft are accused of are serious, and if found guilty, he should be punished in accordance with U.S. law. However, his allegations of being the target of a politically motivated DOJ following his claims of information concerning the Biden family are also due for inspection. Both sides of this story hold equal weight and both deserve a proper investigation to determine fact from fiction. And here's the nerd narrative. This one says there's a 21% chance that Hunter Biden will be indicted by November 5th, 2024. That's according to the Metaculous Prediction Community. China and the Solomon Islands launch a comprehensive strategic partnership. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Nikkei Asia, Reuters, Bloomberg, CNN, Al Jazeera, and The Guardian. On Monday, Chinese President Xi Jinping and Solomon Islands Prime Minister Manasseh Sogavar announced the start of a comprehensive strategic partnership, marking another step in deepening bilateral security ties. As part of the strategic alliance, the PRC and the Pacific Island Nation also signed a police cooperation deal and nine other agreements during a meeting between Sogavar and China's Premier Li Kang in Beijing the same day. His Sunday arrival was Sogavar's first China trip since the beginning of a bilateral security treaty in 2022, which raised concerns in the U.S. and neighboring countries, such as Australia, after the Solomon Islands switched diplomatic recognition from Taiwan to the PRC four years ago. As part of Sogavar's week-long China trip, the Solomon Islands also became the latest Pacific Island nation to open an embassy in China. While the U.S. reopened its diplomatic mission in the Solomon Islands earlier this year, to bolster its presence in the region. In a speech late last week marking the country's 45th independence anniversary from Britain, Sogavar stressed that his government's focus is on development. He also said that Honiara, which hosts the Pacific Games in November, will remain neutral, given the mounting U.S.-China rivalry. In late June, Sogavar called for a review of the 2017 bilateral security agreement with Australia which allows for the rapid deployment of Australian police and defense forces to the Solomon Islands if needed, and agreed to by both countries. We'll start this round of spins with a pro-China narrative from Global Times. Strengthening ties with China is the right decision for the Solomon Islands, as China understands from its own experience the development needs of Pacific nations and respects the equality of all countries. In contrast, the U.S. and some of its regional allies are driven by a Cold War mentality, with Washington taking a zero-sum approach to foreign policy and seeking to expand relations with Pacific nations primarily to contain China. Beijing, however, knows that it can best protect its national interests through win-win cooperation among global South nations, including those in Oceania. And the anti-China narrative comes from the diplomat. With his decision to move the Solomon Islands even closer to the PRC, 
Sogavar is leading the island nation, located in a strategically important region, into an uncertain future. Not without reason, Beijing's efforts to forge closer ties with other Pacific governments have so far largely failed. To expand its regional influence, China is aggressively trying to drag the small Pacific nations into its sphere of influence. But regional leaders are resisting and opting for the U.S. The Solomon Islands must be careful not to become a pawn in Beijing's great power policies. The folks at Metaculus bring us another nerd narrative. This one says there's a 23% chance that the Solomon Islands will host a Chinese military base before 2032. Meta's Threads hits 100 million users. Here are the facts as agreed upon by The Independent, CBS, TechCrunch, and Al Jazeera. According to data released Monday morning, Meta's Threads app surpassed 100 million users, making it the fastest-growing app ever, even faster than OpenAI's ChatGPT, which needed two months to achieve that traffic goal. Meta CEO Mark Zuckerberg posted on threads to boast about the app's accomplishment, which he said happened through mostly organic demand, even though it's only been five days. Launched July 5th, threads accumulated 2 million signups in two hours, 5 million signups in four hours, and 10 million registered users in seven hours, passing 30 million users within the first day. Threads, which is meant to compete with Twitter in the text-based social media realm, is built off the Instagram platform. Users can find people to follow through their Instagram network. In contrast, Twitter has around 200 million regular users. Although other niche platforms to Twitter have emerged in tandem with CEO Elon Musk's management of that platform, Threads is considered unique with its capacity to scale. Musk recently threatened to sue Meta for stealing trade secrets and intellectual property, but Meta has denied those accusations. We've got matching left and right narratives on this story, Melissa. Let's start with the left narrative from NBC News. Twitter's interactions have become coarse and negative, leaving an opening for threads to be a positive public square for those who never embrace Twitter or are just sick of it since Musk's takeover. The numbers don't lie, and threads cutting into Twitter's traffic have Musk worried or else he wouldn't be threatening legal action against Zuckerberg. Here's the right narrative from the Daily Mail. Twitter is still king. Threads is only enjoyable for insulated, woke left-wingers who hide behind censorship. Twitter users are still having fun, while those moving to Threads are having their data scraped as they scroll through boring content and tiresome echo chambers. And appropriately enough, the nerds have a say on this story. Metaculus predicts, There's a 20% chance that Meta will report 1 billion active users by December 31st, 2031. I was uh, at the diner this morning watching the Today Show, so I was really tuned into the the latest. (laughs) And um, I was eating French toast and two scrambled eggs. They were talking about this Threads Twitter feud on the Today Show. And they were saying that members signing up are just people converting their Instagram account. So it's not really apples to apples. Now, I can't report on that personally, but apparently that's one of Elon Musk's uh, arguments that he's making. Why? So it's not really apples to apples. Threads is, quote, cheating in these numbers, which it seems like whether it's cheating or not, there's some not quite lining up numbers here. Mm. That's true. I mean, personally, I don't do Twitter. Um, just because I, I like pretty pictures. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> but I do do Instagram. 
Uh, and that would be an easy switch. I mean, I think it's much easier for users to say, oh, Instagram, let me just click this button and now it's my thread account and maybe yep. I'll start writing. So it is a, it's a huge advantage. Foxconn withdraws from its semiconductor deal with India's Vedanta. Here the facts as agreed upon by Reuters, BBC News, Al Jazeera, The South China Morning Post, and CNN. On Monday, Taiwanese company Foxconn, the world's largest electronics maker, announced that it has withdrawn from a $19.5 billion deal with Indian natural resources conglomerate Vedanta to set up semiconductor and display factories in the Indian state of Gujarat. In a statement, Foxconn said the project, set into motion last year, was not moving fast enough and that it had been terminated by mutual agreement. Vedanta will be assuming full control of the venture. However, in a follow-up statement, the Taiwanese company said it plans to apply for a government subsidy to eventually open semiconductor fabrication plants in the country and remain committed to invest in India. Foxconn already has factories in the states of Andhra Pradesh and Tamil Nadu. The joint venture would have produced around 40,000 40-nanometer semiconductors per month. The original proposal sought to produce 28-nanometer semiconductors, but the two countries couldn't locate an appropriate technology partner. While Foxconn didn't give a reason for the withdrawal, India's Minister for Entrepreneurship, Skill Development, Electronics, and Technology said the pair couldn't source technology partners with both companies lacking semiconductor experience. He said the drawback has no impact on India's semiconductor goals. Delays in government incentives and stalled licensing negotiations with European technology firm ST Microelectronics are also believed to have contributed to Foxconn's decision. While the developments are a blow to Prime Minister Narendra Modi's plan to make India a chip-making powerhouse, U.S. chipmaker Micron announced in June an $825 million investment in chip packaging and testing, but not manufacturing. Thank you, Scott, for those facts. And we have Narrative A from Insider. Modi's vision of India competing with the world's powerhouses is growing fainter with each stalled project. Billions of dollars in chip-making investments are stuck in limbo as companies remain hesitant to pull the trigger on developments, sometimes stemming from concerns over India's much-touted incentives in chip-making. For the time being, India will remain a destination, not a source, of the world's semiconductors. And Narrative B comes from Op India. In spite of dire predictions, this setback doesn't affect India's chip-making trajectory whatsoever, as Foxconn has already reapplied for government incentives to pursue semiconductor investments in the country. India's chip-making industry will be a global leader in the near future, as companies, including Foxconn, continue to court the Indian government in an effort to tap into this lucrative market. Olympic champion Semenya wins her testosterone ruling. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Penn Live, Washington Post, the BBC News, and CNN. Two-time Olympic champion runner Castor Semenya on Tuesday won a case at the European Court of Human Rights, or ECHR. The ruling said the South African runner had been discriminated against by World Athletics, who are forcing her to reduce her natural testosterone levels to compete. World Athletics passed a rule in 2018 requiring women with higher-than-normal testosterone to lower their levels to compete in the 400, 800, and 1500-meter races, which are Semenya's top events. 
She has said that she's tried to suppress her levels, but that the drugs she took made her sick and susceptible to injuries. The decision, however, was not against any athletic bodies, but rather the government of Switzerland, which the ECHR says didn't protect Semenya's rights based on a Swiss Supreme Court case three years ago. Referencing the Swiss case, World Athletics wrote that regulations on differences in sex development are necessary, reasonable, and proportionate means of protecting fair competition in the female category, as the Court of Arbitration for Sport and Swiss Federal Tribunal both found. Though a victory for Semenya, who had also been subject to a sex verification test in 2009, the case does not change World Athletics' decision to cut in half the testosterone level allowed for female competitors. The rule effectively bans both transgender and women who are born with natural medical conditions like Semenya. While Semenya says she has been crucified, she must still abide by the required six months of hormone suppressant medication to qualify for future competitions. Thanks for that update, Melissa. Narrative A comes from iNews. A man identifying as a woman is one thing, but Castor Semenya is a naturally born woman who happens to have different hormone levels than her competition. It's clearly discriminatory to force a human being to medically alter their human body to compete in artificial standards of the gender category they were born into. The ECHR made the absolutely correct ruling. World Athletics brings us a narrative B. World Athletics simply wants to ensure that the majority of women are given a fair shot in competitions. Unfortunately, for those with medically verified differences in sex development, their testosterone levels can be so high they breached the average levels seen in men. Most women cannot compete against such advantages. The rules from World Athletics may seem harsh, but they're fair. Our final story, transparent mice can offer insight in cancer treatment. Here are the facts as agreed upon by the Science Times, Benzinga, Mint, CNBC TV 18, BBC News, and IFL Science. Scientists at the Hemholtz Munich Research Center have developed a new scanning technique using transparent mice that can revolutionize cancer treatment by detecting tumors that have previously been far too small to identify. Professor Ali Erturk first created a way to turn mice translucent in 2018, and his team at Hemholtz Munich has chemically highlighted certain tissues, enabling them to scan mice with unprecedented precision. The new technique has only been used on dead mice, but can provide information on cancer progression. Many cancer drugs are used on mice before being used in human trials, and testing done on transparent mice with the new chemical highlighting method has allowed researchers to detect tumors as a single cell. This gives researchers unprecedented insight to study the disease's progression from its earliest stage. Professor Erturk says that while MRI and PET scans would show you only big tumors, his new method gives far more detail. The new method, which only needs to be tested on a few mice, can track how cancer treatment is working and provide a deeper understanding of the drug. Professor Erturk's team has also produced a suite of videos along with 3D images that allow other researchers to study the mouse's nervous system, gut, or lymph system without having to use a new animal. Erturk says this could reduce lab animal use tenfold. This novel method uses standard antibodies to map the mice's bodies with fluorescent markers. Scientists use chemicals to remove fat and pigments before loading the rodent's body with standard antibodies, which are picked up by scanners. 
Thanks for those fascinating facts, Scott. And we'll begin our final story's narrative rounds with Narrative A from the DACA Tribune. Mice are an integral part of scientific research, and mouse-involved studies have been the bedrock of some of the most important discoveries relating to the human body. The latest study involving transparent mice could be yet another indispensable contribution, as researchers will now be able to detect cancerous tumors at the most microscopic levels and study their progression. Additionally, the imaging and videos from the new method will allow extensive research while greatly reducing the number of animals used in scientific studies. And Narrative B comes from PETA. Humans have been abusing mice and other animals for their own curiosity for far too long without any regard for the damage and abuse they are inflicting on innocent animals. Researchers inject mice with cancer and genetically alter them in unimaginable ways. There must be other methods developed to advance medical research in more humane ways without utilizing mice and other laboratory animals. I don't look forward to the um, like the porn industry getting a hold of this translucent technology. Like, <laughs> you know, uh, all right, first you got lost your clothes. Now your skin is translucent. That's what I'm into. Oh, I feel yeah. like we're going there and I'm not looking forward to it. I want to look for cancer, baby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a microscopic tumor. If you got oh, no, 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 no. It just looks that way on the scanner. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Improve the News podcast for Wednesday, July 12th, 2023. Each day we use machine learning to read about 5,000 articles from about 100 newspapers and figure out which ones are about the same stories. For each major story, our editorial team then extracts both the key facts that all articles agree on and the key narratives where the articles differ. For more information on Improve the News, please visit our website, improvethenews.org. You can also download our app on the Apple App Store or Google Play. For Scott Wallace, I'm Melissa Topshire, inviting you to join us next time on Improve the News. Improve the News.